0: you, sappy music hey there fighting for the faith podcast listener just want to remind you at the top of the program here that fighting for the faith is listener supported radio you know no the music isn't working kill the music yeah sorry i see other guys who use sappy music I, bad idea remind me to talk to you after the program anyway Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. If you don't support us financially already, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Fill it all out. You know what to do. Or if you would like to do the traditional thing, you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, now you can play your music. Yeah. Enjoy listening to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, May 7th, 2013. I, I think I'm mostly over my jet lag now. So we I think we can get back to normal programming, you know, at least something like it. For tuning in, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. The Christian church right now, um, you know, the visible Christian church, is a very dangerous place, and the reason why is because there are a lot of false teachers on the loose, and, uh, well, for lack of a better way of putting it, um, few, if any, are willing to speak out against them and to challenge their false teaching, and as a result of it, um, well, there's a lot of folks who believe that just because uh, Zondervan has promoted a particular author, that you know or that they've got a book deal, or that uh, somebody is teaching over at a popular megachurch pastor's uh, congregation, that that means that theologically they're okay, that they've been vetted, that uh, what they're giving us is uh, Christian uh, Orthodox Christianity, sound biblical doctrine and sound theology, and in reality, they're not. And so what this program helps equip you to do is learn how to properly handle God's Word, applying sound biblical hermeneutics, and applying the three rules of sound biblical hermeneutics is kind of like the first thing to do, and those are context, context, and context. And when you apply that, uh, that those three rules, you often find that what is being taught in many, uh, I don't want to say pulpits, uh, because that's kind of antiquated, especially with the way the seeker-driven megachurches do their uh, church. It, it, you know, from the stage of many um, uh, Christian experience centers, they—I um, <laughs> think that's a good way to put it— Christian experience centers, I'm going to have to keep, keep that in mind. But uh, what's being said from the stage at many of these so-called Christian experience—worship you know, experience centers— well, it's not squaring with Scripture, and we don't want you to be deceived, bamboozled, hoodwinked, because sound, uh, sound theology and false theology, those are important categories, and the Scriptures put a high priority on rightly handling God's Word and not listening to people who are wrongly handling God's Word and teaching false doctrine. And so we help equip you to be able to do that, and we try to have a little bit of fun along the way. Now, real quick, I want to uh I don't know if I've talked about this much on the air, but next week, next week, I am going to be speaking at a conference in uh in in Montana. And you can find out about this conference. It's called Reformation Montana. And uh this is their they've got a conference that they are putting on this year and the theme is a compromised church. I will be speaking uh, at this conference, along with Phil Johnson, uh, Doctor James White, as well as J.D. Hall, and it really should be a, a fascinating conference. Now, uh, in on uh, it starts on Thursday of next week. And just so you know, I will be doing a program on Wednesday next week, but I will not be doing a Fighting for the Faith on Thursday or Friday of next week because I'm going to be at the Reformation Montana conference. Now, if you would like to travel to Montana and uh, be in attendance, uh, you can visit the website to get more information, ReformationMontana.org, ReformationMontana.org. Again, the... uh, the conference begins next Thursday with a debate between James uh, White and, uh, and another gentleman uh, regarding whether or not there's such thing as like Christian homosexuals, things like that. You know, does the Bible condone this stuff? So uh, that debate should be interesting. I think he's debating Justin Lee, if I remember correctly. And then Friday all day long, um, and sat- and Saturday all day long, it's going to rotate between uh, the different conference speakers, including myself, J.D. Hall. Uh, James White and Phil Johnson should be fascinating. Um, I can tell you right now, my opening, um, my opening plenary, I will be talking about a compromised church. I'm going to put it in question marks. I think we're way beyond compromised at this point. So I'm going to. This is no insult to the folks putting on the uh, Reformation Montana. Uh, conference. I think we're way beyond compromise, and I'll be making the case that, uh, you know, compromise was like 50 years ago. Maybe compromise was 100 years ago. Uh, We've moved beyond compromise to something stronger than that, and uh, I'll be making a case regarding that. My second plenary, I'm going to be making a case for recapturing biblical authority in light of the false uh, use of Scripture and the lack of... of, um, so-called Christians, you know, being subject to the authority of Scripture, and then at this point, I what we're planning on doing for my my third uh, uh, plenary is actually taking the time to you know, right there live um, review a uh, a seeker-driven church sermon from uh, you know, from one of the local seeker-driven churches there in Montana, and so um, <clears throat> yeah, that so we'll be doing a, a sermon review. Right, uh, right there uh, on on stage. So it should be interesting. <laughs> I'm not sure how that's going to go, but I, we think it's a good idea right now. You know, doing an actual sermon review live. Um, because when you do something like that, not only do you, do you get to hear my voice, you get to see my facial expressions, and um, you know, so you, you get what I'm saying. So if you have the opportunity to attend the Reformation Montana conference, uh, again, uh, go to ReformationMontana.org, ReformationMontana.org, uh, to get more information about how you can attend. Now, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. We are going to lead off with... Um, a William Tapley update. Now, normally I don't like doing, you know, William Tapley updates too close together. However, <clears throat> from time to time, William Tapley goes into a prophetic um, production mode. If He's very prophetically productive, if you would. And, of course, I didn't see this coming, although I'm kicking myself thinking I should have, is that uh, his latest video is looking at the prophetic insights um, that were supposedly, um, gleaned from watching this year's 2013 Kentucky Derby. Yeah. The horse race. Um, now I, again, I should have saw this coming now. You know, let me, and the funny thing is I didn't watch the Kentucky Derby. Of course, Saturday I was lecturing in Palo Alto at Trinity Lutheran in Palo Alto. And so I did, I didn't even think about the Kentucky Derby. It wasn't even my, on my prophetic radar. Now I had the opportunity, and I failed. I got—I got—I must confess my shortcomings here. I had the opportunity, if I really were paying attention, to glean the prophetic insights of this year's Kentucky Derby while I was in attendance at the Dodger game at AT&T Park on Saturday night. That we, uh, we—we went to uh, the, uh, the the Dodger game. You think? Wait a second. The, the Giants play at AT&T Park. How can you call it the Dodger game? Well, you gotta understand, I, I have a bias towards the Dodgers, and this is something that I learned from my family. See, I, you know, I don't think I had much of a choice here. My grandfather was like a diehard Dodgers fan, going all the way back to when the Dodgers played at Ebbets Field in Brooklyn. In fact, he would tell me stories about how he would attend Dodger games for a nickel. And uh, and well, anyway, put, to kind of put it bluntly, um, m- my family. Has a grudge against the Giants, and it goes all the way back to when the Giants played at the uh, the Polo Grounds uh, in New York, and um, when they were the New York Giants. Have you ever heard of the shot heard around the world? Yeah, the 1951 um, pennant race. Uh, the Dodgers, you know, at the end of the summer, literally had a 13 game lead um, in the you know, in the pennant race, and they whittled that away, and it came down. To a three-game series between the Dodgers and the Giants, and and, uh, and you know they split the first two games. I think the Giants won first, then the Dodgers came back, and then it was going to be all about game number three. And of course, the Dodgers lost. But uh, yeah, there's a there's a story there about um, outfielder Bobby uh, Thompson of the uh, the Giants who uh, who hit this uh, ninth inning walk off home run to win. The game, and so let's just put it this way: in in my family, we there's a grudge there. So, if of course I'm going to attend a game, a baseball game at AT AT&T Park, even though that's the home of the Giants, it's still a Dodger game. That's just my way of thinking. (laughs) Anyway, but anyway, I I digress. To come back now, come back to talk then about uh, what happens at the uh, at the game. Um, was it the second inning? I think at the uh, at the uh, halfway through the second inning and uh, um, JumboTron out there at AT&T Park they literally uh played the you know the like the last half of the uh, the Kentucky Jer- Derby and I didn't even take a moment to watch it cuz the only thing I was thinking about is you know I'm hungry and we hadn't had dinner yet and the Dodgers had just you know been retired uh, at the halfway through the second inning, and so you know that was the time we got up and decided to you know grab a bite to eat, so we were walking down the stairs while they were playing the the, the Kentucky Derby on the jumbotron and i i don 't know what it is, but I, I really have got to do a better job of letting william Tapley you know his cues make me pay attention to such things. I should have known that God was speaking through the Kentucky Derby. But I see I didn't recognize his voice, and so um, as a result of it, I didn't pay attention. And I didn't see any of the prophecies that were supposedly just dripping off of this year's Kentucky Derby. So we'll uh, we'll start off our uh, program today by looking at William Tapley's Kentucky Derby prophecy. And then after that, it's not very long, and after that we're going to switch gears and uh, take a look at an article that – was recently published at uh, worldmag.com, at worldmag.com. In fact, it was written by Anthony Bradley, entitled The New Legalism, The New Legalism. Now, think back to uh, evangelicalism's old legalism. The old legalism went something like this. If you are a true Christian... Yeah, see, yeah, there's false Christians out there. If you're a true Christian, well, then you don't drink, smoke, or chew, or watch television, or go to rated R movies. Um, and you women have to wear dresses that have a particular length because nobody who calls them, who's truly a Christian, does any of those things. And so Christianity then gets defined by these legalistic blue laws and um and so you know that 's kind of the old version of uh, evangelical legalism well now there 's a new legalism, and Anthony Bradley does a very good job of pointing this out in this article. Um, how the push to be radical and missional is discouraging ordinary people in ordinary places from doing ordinary things to the glory of God. Because, of course, you know, the call out there by, you know, guys like Stephen Furtick and Perry Noble and Craig Groeschel and others is that you've got to be audacious. You've got to go change the world and all this kind of stuff. It's like, blah, you know, serious scripture says what a good work is. If you want to know what a good work is, you'll look in the Bible and the Bible says it is a good and pleasing work for moms to be moms, for dads to be dads, for husbands to be husbands and wives to be wives. You don't, you know, God is not demanding that you drop everything and audaciously go and exercise your audacious faith to change the world. That's not what you're called to do. You're called to love and serve God your neighbor in vocation. So I, we're going to take a look at that, and then we'll take a break. When we come back from our break, we're going to do an extended segment looking at uh, Rob Bell's recent appearance, um, uh, you know, where he, um, he, he was in the United Kingdom uh, discussing uh, what we talk about when we talk about God on the Unbelievable uh, program hosted by Justin Brierley of Premier Christian Radio out there in the United Kingdom. And, uh, Rob Bell was in in kind of a radio debate, but they were both you know both guys were in the room looking at each other, and uh, he was uh, discussing uh, his ideas with Andrew Wilson and Andrew Wilson did a fine job of really taking Rob Bell to task on his views regarding homosexuality and The thing is is that if you watch the video that uh, Premier uh, Christian Radio posted on YouTube. The the, the exchange between Rob Bell and Andrew Wilson is broken into two very distinct parts. And in the first part, I think Andrew Wilson does a fantastic job. It's in the second part that I think he made a pretty big mistake. An easy one to make. I've made this mistake myself. But what I'm going to do today is we're going to take a look at part one where Andrew Wilson does a good job. And then on Thursday when we come back to do a normal episode of Fighting for the Faith, tomorrow will be our light episode. I want to circle back and take a look at the error that Andrew Wilson committed. Again, it's an easy error to make. And um, and I wish he had done something differently. And I'll explain that when uh, we get to the program on uh, on Thursday. And, but and then in hour number two today we're going to be uh, visiting North Point Church in Springfield, Missouri. Now, if that sounds familiar, North Point Church in Springfield, Missouri, is the uh, the multi site megachurch that used to be led by Tommy Sparger. Of course, Tommy Sparger <clears throat> committed adultery and he was removed from leadership, and uh, now they have Pastor Jeremy. And we're going to be listening to uh, Pastor Jeremy. Uh, hit from his sermon series entitled Once Upon a Time. We're going to be listening to the fourth installment of that sermon series. Uh, it's just number four. It, it doesn't have a name you know, individual to that sermon where he is engaging, well, in that, let's see, we've got narcissistic eisegesis, right? We got, not, we got that. We have jungle Jesus. That's where you, in, you know, take animal planet ideas and then stick them into the biblical text. And then we have psycho Jesus, and that's where you psychologize particular passages. And in this particular sermon, Pastor Jeremy is engaging in communal Jesus or community Jesus, and uh, where he's literally reading into Scripture ideas of community that are not in the passage that he's exegeting. So he's actually engaging in eiseges, sticking the concept of community in there. And then keep in mind, uh, community is a ma- major component, a very major central component of s- seeker-driven ideology. Not theology, but ideology. And and so this is the reason why the seeker-driven um, Church's message constantly regarding community, community, community. If you don't know what the dangers are of that, I would I would point you back to my lecture from last year, about a year ago now, uh, entitled Resistance is Feudal, You Will Be Assimilated into the Community. I think that will help you understand the primary problem there, I, although I won't be unpacking that again today. We're going to be taking a look at a very dangerous sermon that eisegetes community into a biblical text in which it is not there. So we've got a lot of ground to cover. Should be an interesting program. I strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. Um, and, you know, fuzzy bunny slippers do enhance your listener experience as long as it's not too hot in your neck of the woods. Because if your feet are swe- sweating while you're wearing your fuzzy bunny slippers, that actually ends, ends up being, a di- uh, well, a distractor. So without any further ado, let's dive into the program. And we'll start off with our William Tapley update regarding the uh, uh, what God was prophesying in this year's Kentucky Derby. Here we go. of the world as we know it it's the end of the world as we know it it's the end of the world as we know it and i feel fine boom 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 all right so um you might want to assume the crash position (laughs) that's all i'm saying um. Here, well, I think I've set this up already. Uh, here is William Tapley, the 30 year of the apocalypse and co-prophet of the end times, although he is not um, introducing himself that way because this is kind of like a, a last-second emergency um, video where he's got to unpack the, uh, the prophetic insights uh, that were gleaned, well, from this year's um, uh, Kentucky Derby. Here's William Tapley. I'm going to skip my usual introduction
1: because this is just a very, very brief video on yesterday's Kentucky Derby, which several of my subscribers pointed out to me had to be prophetic. And I agree. And our Lord often... Does- now,
0: William, have you ever considered that maybe, just maybe, those people who are pointing these things out to you are kind of baiting you? Have, have you ever thought about that? That, you know, they don't really actually believe that the Kentucky Derby was prophetic. They just know that you would you would think it is and therefore they are trying to point you to it because they want to see what you're going to say. I'm just thinking that may be happening here.
1: use ordinary events to reveal the sublime. For example, Jesus said that the kingdom heaven is like a mustard seed. Now, only God could come up with a comparison like that. But parables are meant to help us to understand the divine.
0: Okay, so you're saying that the 2013 Kentucky Derby was a parable from God to help us understand the divine. Yeah, I don't think so.
1: And I believe yesterday's Kentucky Derby did exactly that. Now, maybe you remember five years ago, God gave a similar prophecy in the Triple Crown.
0: Nope, I don't remember it.
1: And the first race was run by Big Brown, who symbolized Barack Obama winning the primary. And in the second race, the Preakness, Big Brown won again, which symbolized Obama winning the presidency. And in the third race, the Belmont, Big Brown was a huge, huge favorite. But he lost. He came in dead last. And the horse that beat him was called... Tara. That indicates that Barack Obama is going to lose his last battle, and that is the war against terror. In other words, World War Three.
0: Okay. Um. <clears throat> you know, I'm beginning to wonder if the family of William Tapley needs to have an intervention. Now, if you think about this for a second, here. Um, we're all familiar with uh, folks who suffer from substance addictions. You know, for instance, alcoholics or those people who actually take drugs. Um, maybe it's cocaine or heroin or you know, PCP or things like that. And 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 how it it's not a good thing. And if of course, a lot of times it takes an intervention to get the person to get into a good detox, you know, clinic and then into you know rehab so that they can. Um, learn how to manage their addiction and not fall off the wagon if you would is there a Is there a twelve step program for people who are addicted to eschatology? see i i 'm hoping that there is you know some kind of eschatological addiction because I think William Tapley may be suffering from that, and what needs to happen is that his family needs to sit him down and and basically say listen um we 're going to need to put you in a twelve step program and hopefully in the course of going through that eschatological twelve uh, st- step program, William Tapley will learn to spend the bulk of his Bible reading reading you know like all of scripture and you know maybe he can even get so good at managing his addiction that he can read eschatological passages without going on a bender like this because i i'm really thinking this is some kind of eschatological prophetic bender that he's on here at the moment because this this doesn't make any sense at all
1: barack obama will be defeated by the antichrist and now yesterday's kentucky derby ...was a similar prophecy that at the very end of the Tribulation, the Antichrist will be defeated by Mary's Rosary.
0: What? (laughs) I thought the scriptures say that Jesus himself is going to defeat the Antichrist. And I think with the breath of his mouth? Yeah, I'm doing that from memory.
1: As I have often said on this program, Jesus defeats
0: the Antichrist, but his primary weapon... Is Mary's rosary, and so does he wield Mary's rosary like a samurai sword? Is this like nunchucks? I mean, how on earth does Mary's rosary end up being wielded as a weapon?
1: We found that in the victor in this year's Kentucky Derby, who was the jockey, Joel Rosario, and Rosario is a clear prophecy. Of Mary's rosary.
0: And that- okay, so because the jockey who rode the horse that won the Kentucky Derby's last name is Rosario, that that's a prophecy regarding Mary's rosary.
1: That <sighs> muddy track, that symbolized the
0: tribulation period. Okay, and the- so the muddy track symbolizes the tribulation. God, yeah, I totally missed that. horse was called Orb. Yeah, so the no, horse that won is named Orb. So let me see if I got this. Um, We got Rosario the Jockey. That's Mary's Rosary. The muddy track is the tribulation and orb. What does orb represent?
1: And in the end times, a great orb is going to strike the earth and finish the seven years of tribulation. And we see that at the prophecy of Fatima also. Remember, it was very muddy at Fatima. Uh, Yeah, I totally forgot that. October 13th, 1917. For the Blessed Mother had prophesied that on the 13th of October there would be a great miracle. And that miracle was the miracle of the sun. It was witnessed by more than 70,000 people. And all the mud was dried up. All the people with their muddy clothes saw this great miracle of the orb. And the orb was the sun dancing in the sky and plunging towards the earth.
0: 70,000 people saw that. Mm -hmm.
1: And that was a prophecy of the end times comet, which will complete Armageddon. It is the final defeat of the Antichrist. And this year's Kentucky Derby was another parable. A sign from Almighty God that at the end of the seven years of rain and mud, the Antichrist will lose, and Mary's rosary will crush the
0: head of Satan. All right, so there's William Tapley's latest prophetic insights, um, apparently the ones I missed, from this year's Kentucky Derby. Like I said, I think there needs to be an intervention. This is It's clear that uh, William Tapley continues to go on eschatological benders, and uh, what he ends up saying is just, well, lucru- uh, ludicrous and bizarre and has absolutely nothing to do with the primary message of Scripture. Which is about Christ. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing have life in his name. (sighs) Moving along. From WorldMag.com, this will be World Magazine, the headline reads The New Legalism. The New Legalism, written by Anthony Bradley. All right, so Anthony Bradley begins his article um, with this question. Is Paul's urging to live quietly, mind your own affairs, and work with your hands, see First Thessalonians 4.11, only for losers? Do you feel that you're wasting your gift if you settle into an ordinary job, get married early, and start a family, or live in a small town or suburb? Acton Institute power blogger Anthony Bradley has some provocative thoughts on the new legalism. A few days ago on Facebook and Twitter, I made the following observation: being a radical missional Christian is slowly becoming the new legalism. We need more ordinary God and people lovers. This observation was the result of long of a long conversation with a student. ...who was wrestling with what to do with his life given all of the opportunities he had available to him. To my surprise, my comment exploded over the internet with dozens and dozens of people sharing the comment and sending me personal correspondence... I continue to be amazed by the number of youth and young adults who are stressed and burnt out from the regular shaming and feelings of inadequacy if they happen to not be doing something unique and special. Today's millennial generation is being fed the message That if they don't do something extraordinary in this life, they are wasting their gifts and their potential. Yeah, they're not achieving their purpose. The sad result is that many young adults feel ashamed if they settle into ordinary jobs, get married early, start families, live in towns or small towns. Or as 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says, aspire to live quietly and mind their own affairs and work with their hands. For too many millennials, their greatest fear in this life is being an ordinary person with a non-glamorous job, living in the suburbs and having nothing spectacular to boast about. Here are a few thoughts on how we got here. Anti-suburban Christianity. In the 1970s and 1980s, the children and older grandchildren of the builder generation, born between 1901 and 1920... ...sorted themselves and headed to the suburbs to raise their children in safety, comfort, and material ease. And now millennials, born between 1977 and 1995 taking a cue from their baby boomer parents born between 46 and 64 to aspire uh, to despise the context that provided them advantages, have a disdain for America's suburbs. This despising of suburban life has been inadvertently encouraged by well-intentioned religious leaders, inviting people to move to neglected cities to make a difference. Because after all, the apostle Paul did his work primarily in cities. Cities are important and cities are the final destination of the Kingdom of God, uh, they were told that God loves cities, and they should too. The unfortunate message became that you cannot live a meaningful Christian life in the suburbs. Moving to the next phase, missional narcissism. There are many churches that are committed to being what is called missional. This term is used to describe a church community where people see themselves as missionaries in local communities. A missional church has been defined as a theologically formed, gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, united community of believers Who seek to faithfully incarnate the purpose of Christ for the glory of God, said Scott Thomas of the Acts 29 Network. Well, that's an interesting definition, don't you think? Uh, The problem is that this push for local missionaries coincided with the narcissism epidemic we're facing in America, especially with the millennial generation. As a result, living out one's faith became narrowly celebratory only when done in a unique and special way, a missional way. Getting married and having children early, getting a job, saving and investing, being a good citizen, loving one's neighbor, and the like no longer qualify as virtuous. One has to be involved in arts and social justice activities, even if justice is pursued without sound economics or social teaching. I actually know of a couple who were being so missional they decided not to procreate for the sake of taking care of orphans. To make matters worse, some religious leaders have added a new category to Christianity called radical Christianity in an effort to trade off suburban Christianity for mission. This movement is based on the book by David Platt and is fashioned around an idea that we were created for far more than a nice, comfortable Christian spin on the American dream, an idea that we were created to follow one who demands radical risk and promises radical reward. Again, This is a well intentioned attempt to address lukewarm Christians in the suburbs, but because it is primarily reactionary and does not provide a positive construction for the good life from God's perspective, it misses radical ideas in Jesus' own teaching, you know, like love. The combination of anti-suburbanism with the new categories like m- missional and radical has positioned a generation of youth and young adults to experience an intense amount of shame for simply being ordinary Christians who desire to love God and love their neighbors. In fact, missional radical Christianity could easily be called the new legalism. A few decades ago, an entire generation of baby boomers walked away from traditional churches to escape the legalistic moralism of being good. But what their millennial children received in exchange is an individualistic American Christian culture was shame-driven pressure to be awesome and extraordinary young adults expected to tangibly make a difference in the world immediately. But this cycle of reaction and counter-reaction inaugurated by the baby boomers does not seem to be producing faithful young adults. Instead, many are simply burning out. Why is Christ's command to love God and love neighbor not enough for these leaders? Well, maybe Christians are sim- are simply to pursue living well and invite others to do so according to how God has ordered the universe. An emphasis on human flourishing, ours and others, becomes important because it is characterized by a holistic concern for the spiritual, moral, physical, economic, material, political, psychological, and social context necessary for human beings to live according to their design. What if youth and young adults were simply encouraged to live in pursuit of wisdom, knowledge, understanding, education, wonder, beauty, glory, creativity, and worship in a world marred by sin, as Abraham Kuyper encourages in the book Wisdom and Wonder? No shame, no pressure, to be awesome, no expectations of fame, but simply following the call to be men and women of virtue and inviting their friends and neighbors to do the same in every area of life. It is unclear how millennials will respond to the new legalism, But it may explain the current trend of young Christians leaving the church after the age of 15 at a rate of 60%. Being a Christian in a shame-driven, missional, radical church does not sound like rest for the weary. Perhaps the best antidote to, uh, to the pendulum swings and fads is simply to recover a mature understanding of vocation so that youth and young adults understand that they can make important contributions to human flourishing in any sphere of life because there are no little people or insignificant callings in God's kingdom. Great article. Fantastic points. I think he's right on track there. What do you think? love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you could do so my email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on facebook facebook facebook.com forward slash pirate christian or you can follow me on twitter my name there at pirate christian quick break when we come back we got a rob bell update yeah yeah it's chops busted by andrew Wilson on uh, justin brierly's program stay tuned don't want to miss it we will be right back We don't need to rethink Christianity, we need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
1: You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now.
2: Presents Church Day Select. And now Max Holiday's Bird Cage proudly presents
3: Sessions with Mildred.
2: Uh, Do you know why I called you in here today?
3: Am I in trouble?
2: Oh, no, no, no. Of course not. We're just worried about you.
3: Is this about my tithes? You know, I'm so sorry. I forgot the $5. You hate me now, don't you?
2: Oh, no. No, you've been very good about meeting your tithe quota. Besides, if this had been about your tithes, we would have sent someone to your house. I just wanted to discuss your attitude because some of the elders have started to talk about
3: it. My attitude
2: oh yes your attitude you see we're all about our congress having audacious faith but we've noticed that you seem to be having difficulty being audacious during services
3: um are you talking about the holy ghost tokey pokey is i not dancing right you know i i tried practicing at home but when i put my whole self in i fell over and injured fluffles who's fluffles well, uh, he's my cat, and after I fell down, I didn't know if he was breathing. Okay,
2: we we seen you straight from the top. Look, you don't have to dance during the services, but you can at least start singing. I mean, what's the point of having jumbo screens with sing along lyrics if people aren't being audacious and using them?
3: When I was younger, I had this bird, and I decided to take it outside with me and start singing to it, and a hawk dove down and snatched Muffin from my finger.
2: Oh, dear. Uh, I'm so sorry about Muffin, but let's get back to the present point. If you don't want to sing or dance during the service, then I guess we'll let you have make that choice. But if nothing else, won't you please be more agitated and just do the hand motions?
3: Well, last year I had my gerbil outside in his hamster ball, and uh, the interview
2: is not going as expected.
3: Well, I was practicing hand motions, and my bracelet caught a glare in a driver's eye, and the car swerved, and it hit Mr. Cuddles. He flew into the mouth of an octopus living in the sewer. Apparently, he didn't taste very good, so he spit him back up into the street where my neighbor ran him over with his lawnmower, which broke the hamster ball, but not Mr. Cuddles. So then Mr. Cuddles escaped, and then a dog thought Mr. Cuddles was a chew toy, so he chewed on him, but Mr. Cuddles didn't like that, so he survived, and I got him back.
2: Well, that's finally something positive. I bet you waiting to Mr. Cuddles would love for you to be more audacious in church.
3: Well, but he died a week later from rabies that he got from the octopus. Uh, well, I think we'll have
2: to schedule a second meeting for you sometime in the next... Never. I mean, months.
0: Just your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long-time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser, Cheapo Air is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit PirateChristianRadio.com forward slash cheap Write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. And thank you for your support. Cowabunga.
4: Mark your calendar now for April 25, 26, and 27, 2014. You see, it's not too soon to be making your plans, saving your pennies, and asking for work off April 25, 26, and 27 of 2014 for the 11th annual Branson Worldview Weekend. This past year, we had people from all over the country and actually from other countries join us in the beautiful rolling hills of Branson, Missouri. So if you're looking to attend the premier Understanding the Times Biblical Worldview Weekend, then join us April 25, 26, and 27 of 2014 for the Branson Worldview Weekend. It's for all ages. Children 11 and under are free. We also have a group rate and a family rate. The Worldview Weekends have been around since 19 So we're one of the oldest biblical worldview conferences in America. So mark your calendar now for Branson, Missouri, April 25, 26, and 27,
0: 2014. All right, we're back. Warning: Listening to "Fighting for the Faith" could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor engages in narcissistic Jesus, Jesus, jungle Jesus, and communal Jesus. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable too. Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Moving along. That's our classic Rob Bell update music. Uh, Oasis and um, their, their mid-90s hits, Champagne Supernova. I have no idea what those lyrics mean. I don't think anybody does or can actually figure it out. That's why I <laughs> made that one of our Rob Bell update music, uh, you know, musical scores. We have a couple that we draw from for Rob Bell. Anyway, recently Rob Bell appeared on the Unbelievable program, which is hosted by Justin Brierley in the United Kingdom on Premiere Christian Radio, and had a little bit of a debate, if you would, with uh, Andrew Wilson. I'm not sure what Andrew Wilson's credentials are. Um, you know, he's some kind of a minister, if you would, you know, maybe an apologist of sorts. But I think he did a fantastic job in the first half of this exchange, of uh, really taking Rob Bell to task, and I'm going to play it and chime in accordingly and point out some of the significant things that are going on in this exchange. Now, when we uh, when we do another uh, normal episode of Fighting for the Faith on Thursday, I want to circle back and point out an error, I think a, a, a an easy error to make that uh, Andrew Wilson committed uh, in his exchange with Rob Bell, but we'll save that for Thursday. So today we're going to focus on uh, where uh, Andrew Wilson did a fantastic job so that you know who's who. Uh, the, uh, this segment begins with Justin Brierley talking, and then he's going to have Rob Bell um, having an exchange with Andrew Wilson. So uh, just try to follow along. I'll point it out as we go. Here we go. Do you believe that that this, this is an area where actually God's ahead of the church, that affirming um, same-sex partnerships is actually – a god thing okay so you know this is justin bryanley asking whether or not god's ahead of the church pulling us into the future to affirm same-sex marriage which by the way that it's it's a ridiculous statement on its face because here's the deal there's not a biblical passage that said says that god is in the future uh, is ahead of us pulling us into the future sounds like rob bell is uh, a- ahead of us to the left trying to pull us to the left and, and that we will eventually all get to see that in in the course of time
5: I think it's time for the church to acknowledge that we have brothers and sisters who are gay.
0: Gay is not a uh, is not a category. Male and female is. Gay is not a sex. Uh, that's not a gender. Male and female are the genders. No, we do not have brothers and sisters who are, quote, gay. We have brothers and sisters who are male and female who are being tempted by Uh, homosexual sins and homosexual thoughts and lusts and things of that nature. That's what we have. We don't have Christian brothers and sisters who are gay. No. Gay is not a gender. And want to share
5: their life with someone. Mm -hmm. And this is a part of life in the modern world. And that's how it is. And the cultural consciousness has shifted. Mm -hmm. And That's this is how the world is and that what's happening for a lot of people is they want nothing to do with God and Jesus because they can't see beyond that particular issue.
0: False. That is absolutely false. The reason why people don't want to have anything to do with God and Jesus is because they're born dead in trespasses and sins, and they are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Romans 1 makes it clear, absolutely patently clear. The error doesn't lie with Christ. The error doesn't lie with the church. The error doesn't lie with God's Word, which exposes homosexual lusts and behavior as sinful. The error lies with humanity who is in rebellion against God and suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. This is 180 degrees backwards. And what's Rob Bell's statement? Well, the, the culture has shifted. We just need to get on board with what's going on. Everything's changed. So the church needs to catch up with what's going on in the culture. Well, let's see what Andrew Wilson does when he uh, gets the opportunity to cross-examine Rob Bell, which is what will take place shortly. Let's continue. Now, this is up to this point. There's been a lot of agreement between you guys, but I suspect you take a different mm. view on mm. this. Andrew. Well, can I ask a, a, some questions? Because I, what well, I don't now, this is Andrew Wilson.
6: I don't know. It's the grounding for that, yeah. that that statement that I find interesting. Yeah. So would you say I don't think that a guy having sex with a guy is sinful?
5: I would begin with I am for monogamy. I am for fidelity. I am for commitment.
0: Who cares what you're for? The, Andrew's question is pointing to your source of authority for making the claims that you're making. And so I'm for monogamy. Oh, well, uh, what? Are you king? Are you running for political office? Who cares what you're for or for against? The question has to do with the authority by which you're making the statements that you're making. Let's listen again. I would
5: begin with I am for monogamy. I am for fidelity. I am for commitment. And I think the world needs more of that. And I, am, I think that promiscuity is dangerous.
0: Why? Why do you think promiscuity is dangerous? Why do you think monogamy is a good thing? What, uh, what standard are you appealing to? And
5: promiscuity is destructive. And some people are gay and want to share their life with someone.
0: And uh, No, no, the Bible does not say that people are born gay. Gay is not a gender. They are born male and female. If they want to spend their life with somebody in a way that is pleasing to God and in accord with the way God has designed us, then they are to find somebody to spend their life with who is of the opposite sex. This is how God made it.
5: They should be able to. And that's how the world is, and we should affirm that.
0: Okay, now I'm going to back this up. I want you to hear the shoulds here. He's, he's basically saying the church should. Should. Well, a should is implying some kind of a standard. And the standard that he's given so far is that the culture has changed and therefore we should. So this is an imperative. The church needs to get on board. It should. Listen again. And some people are
5: gay and want to share their life with someone and they should be able to.
0: Why should they be able to? Why? Why should they be able to? What standard are you, make, are you appealing to saying that this is a should? And that's how
5: the world is, and we should affirm that.
0: So the world is like that, and we should affirm the world in their sin.
5: And we should affirm monogamy, fidelity, and commitment.
0: So we should affirm monogamy, fidelity, and commitment. Why? What standard are you appealing to to make these should statements? Both gay and straight.
6: Is that That's a yes right. or a no? As in, do you believe it? So what I'm trying to get my head around is, do you think it's sinful, but we need to lump it because the world's changed? Or do you think it's not sinful? And if so, do you think the Bible doesn't think it's sinful and that Jesus didn't think it was sinful? That's. I'm and not yet.
5: aware that Jesus mentions it. I think you have about five verses that can be read a number of different ways.
0: Okay, now, <clears throat> this is a classic fallacious argument. Listen again.
5: And I'm yet. not aware that Jesus mentions it. I think you have about five verses that can be read a number of different ways.
0: Okay. Who was Jesus? And actually, that's kind of a bad way of phrasing. The question is, who is Jesus currently? Because that's who he is. Answer, he is the God of the Old Testament in human flesh. So when Rob Bell says God, well, Jesus doesn't mention it, this is bad Christology. Now, let's take a look at some of these passages where that talk about um, same-sex sins Leviticus chapter 18 verse 22 you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female it is an abomination who's speaking there moses no god is you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female it is an abomination now notice leviticus 1822 goes after the very act itself regardless of motivation the sheer act of lying with a man as one lies with a female the act itself is an abomination contrary to what god how god has made us leviticus 20 verse 13 if there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman both of them have committed a detestable act they surely shall be put to death the, their blood guiltness is upon them in ancient israel um this this the act the act of lying with a male as one lies with a female, the punishment in the theocracy of Israel, it was the death penalty. Absolutely the death penalty. This is what Scripture says. And notice it says, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It doesn't care if the reason why you lied, you were laying with a male as with a female, is because you claim that you were born gay, because you uh, wanted a monogamous relationship with the male in which you were lying with. doesn't matter. The, the the reason itself plays no part in the condemnation. The condemnation is the very act itself. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10 through Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And I think it's important to point out here that... Um, the uh, the word for, that is translated effeminate, as well as the, uh, the there's two words here, uh, arsinokoi or koitoi and uh, the uh, malakoi. Uh, it's talking about both the. Um, let's, let's say the active and passive partners in a same-sex relationship. It's covering all, all the bases, if you would. And it basically says that they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkard, nor revilers, nor swindles, swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then the scripture goes on to say, and as were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been redeemed, okay. Christians are not these things because they are forgiven and they are penitent and they do not bear fruit in keeping with this evil anymore. But this this is a clear passage. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 28 says, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. What were they doing suppressing the truth and unrighteousness? So God gives them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. That's the L in LGBT, by the way. And in the same way, also men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another, men com- with, uh, with men committing indecent acts and receiving in themselves... Uh, in their own persons, the due penalty of their error. as And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper. These passages are not ambiguous. These passages are not unclear. These passages leave no door open to a God-blessed same-sex relationship, monogamous or not. These passages shut the door to that notion altogether, and it doesn't take any interpretation. All it takes is reading. That's all it takes. So Andrew uh, Wilson here is doing a fine job of providing a good cross-examination of Rob Bell on this topic. And Rob Bell is, well, exposing the source of his theology and showing that it's not grounded in what God's Word says. And here he's just brushed aside these clear passages of Scripture. All these could be understood a number of different ways, and, and so therefore they don't mean anything. Pah! They mean exactly what they say. And
5: there is a large Christian tradition that sees this as there are Scriptures that speak to this, but I don't think you can make an overwhelmingly case against it.
0: Um, actually, these passages make a clear overwhelming case against it, period. For you to say that, I mean, what needs to happen is, well, let's open up the passage here and take a look.
6: So, but it's your position, which I know is, you know. Yeah. So your position would be, no, it's not sinful, right? It's not sinful for for a guy to have sex with a guy. That's not a problem for God notice he's not answering the question has been it's just at times he had to move people towards forward in history but that's not a problem if you understand paul properly understand jesus properly they genuinely didn't have a problem with guys having sex with guys is that, i'm just trying to is that what you believe because i don't want to critique I think or paul engage in a position you don't have had,
5: but... i think paul had his answer to that question tied up in worship of all sorts of other deities i think it was all one giant hairball in paul's day
0: and how are you making that claim because Paul actually is referencing uh, Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 22 when he uses the word arsenokoitai because that is literally you know, coming straight out of the Septuagint which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament and he's making a clear reference back to thou the sh- a man better is one who sleeps with a, f- a man as one sleeps with a woman so yeah um you're making a claim that cannot be supported from the clear text itself
5: and that for him there was the temple and there was the temple of other gods who were opposed to the god of israel and that went on in there so i think when paul was talking about this issue for him it's tied up in all sorts of idolatry it's all sorts of rejection of god so i would want to like pull the various issues apart i don't think they so, but had
6: your, but a so cultural view would conception. Be, though, that then you got that if paul is looking at there's two gay men in the church in corinth they want it. They're having sex together.
0: Now, notice what he's trying to do is get Rob Bell to clarify. So he's coming at him with the same question, just phrased differently.
6: Rob Bell is not answering the question directly. They're not worshipping idols. Paul's going to say, that's great, guys. Go for it. We need more of that, not less. Is that, your, is that what you believe is true of Paul? I
5: think Paul didn't have that cultural framework or conception operating around him. I think he had men and boys. I think he had temples. I did not think he was talking about what we're talking about in 2000. Uh,
0: Paul had the Levitical law and that's what he was referencing.
5: 2013, which was two committed people of a same sex relationship.
6: Okay. So, 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 so you don't think there's any, you don't, so your position would be, this is not sinful. This is righteous. This is a good thing. God says, Way to go! I, I from from my throne in heaven. I'm blessing that. I'm saying that's wonderful. It's not. It's a the, beautiful thing. Interesting. You the,
5: the theologian Cornelius Plantiga defines sin as culpable disturbance of shalom.
0: Now, okay, let me back this up and watch what he does here. So he's trying to get him, trying to get Rob Bell to clearly answer the question: Is God blessing these same-sex monogamous relationships? And what is he? What is he doing? Well, the, he goes on to say, well. The theologian Cornelius Plantinga defines sin as this. The question is, how does the Bible define sin?
6: It's not. It's a beautiful the thing. Interesting, you the,
5: the theologian Cornelius Plantinga defines sin as culpable disturbance of shalom.
0: So any anyway, culpable disturbance of shalom. Yeah. What's that mean? So sin is a culpable disturbance of shalom. So based upon this definition from Cornelius Plantinga, you know, now we can we can basically say God is for same-sex marriage. This is ridiculous.
5: Define sin as culpable disturbance of shalom. So any way in which I'm guilty of destroying the shalom that God intends for all things. Yeah. I don't think a healthy monogamous same-sex relationship destroys or is destructive – to the shalom God intends for all things.
0: Mm, yeah, so rather than going with the biblical definition of sin, which is a missing of the mark, and the mark is set by God's moral law, you go with Cornelius Plantinga and his uh, culpable disturbance of shalom definition and claim, well, therefore, since I don't think that homosexuality uh, culpably disturbs the shalom, um, therefore, I, I think it's okay. Who's his authority
6: here? Not the Word of God. So you don't think it you don't think it's sinful. You so, Although so for some you,
5: things are really destructive.
6: Yeah, sure. So so for you, gay sex isn't isn't sinful at all. And if we understood the Bible properly, we'd all get that. So actually, we are. We when Jesus talks about sexual morality flowing from within the heart and refers back to Leviticus eighteen with all of its prohibitions, you would say that's that's a time specific thing. That's just Jesus was, was Jesus wrong on that? Did he misunderstand what God had well, meant? Was Jesus just a I mean, step the, forward, or what's the? Because obviously he's just he's
0: now notice here what he did. He goes after how Jesus goes after sexual immorality, and in the context in which Jesus condemns all sexual immorality, which is first-century Judea, to a crowd of Jews, that, is a, that sexual immorality is defined specifically by Leviticus 18 and and, uh, and other passages. So here Rob Bell is bristling at this and just, no, wait, wait, no, you can't do that with Leviticus. So what Andrew just did was demonstrate that Jesus is shorthand speaking against homosexuality when he speaks about sexual immorality because that in that context is defined by Leviticus.
6: Good point. Misunderstand what God had meant? Was Jesus just a step forward or – What's the? Because obviously he's just he's t- talking in the same passages. He says all foods are clean, but from the heart come yeah. sexual morality, among other things. And sexual morality in the Jewish world as you read a lot about it as I have is understood very much in terms of political 17. so, the so for again, in, I'm trying to get. Would you say right, you right. say Paul didn't have a problem with it? So you don't you don't think paul or jesus were referring to any of those prohibitions from the from the old testament and, and they, they weren't really talking about anything like what we're seeing today or would you say no jesus did say that but he was a child of his time as paul was and therefore we can move beyond it now because the world's changed it's just which of those two that's
5: a great question positions you're in <laughs> that's a yeah answer it it's a great <laughs> deep, <laughs> thick complicated question i have to think about more
6: so like
0: a, okay, yeah I, mean, I i can't answer you here i gotta i gotta really think about this
6: is, is it a question of hermeneutics, or is it a question of exegesis? So is it that you and I would disagree about, obviously yeah,
0: right, about Paul
6: or about Jesus, or is yeah, it that you would disagree question. about how that fits into God's story, and you'd say we'd go beyond that now?
5: Well, when Jesus is referring to Leviticus, tied up in Leviticus is two different kinds of fabric
0: being wool. Yeah, now this is the classic liberal argument. Well, see, because there's a prohibition in Leviticus, you can't wear you know fabric of two different types, you know, cotton and wool. You know, therefore... We can just take all of this. You see, this is, this is again, go back to my hermeneutics lecture uh, regarding the proper handling of God's Word. And what is he doing here? He's taking an off-topic passage that isn't addressing uh, sexual immorality and putting that as the Sides Doctrinae, which, because it's off-topic, it becomes the Death Star. So the, the argument goes, well, <laughs> look, in Leviticus, I mean, it, it ha- there's a prohibition against shellfish. There's a prohibition against... Um. Uh. You know, about wearing clothes of two different. You know, uh, two different uh, fabrics. You can't do that. So therefore, we can just dismiss all of the. uh, uh, Well, not all of sexual immorality, just homosexuality. See, we can just obliterate that because it can't mean that, right? See, this is just bad. Really bad. Off-topic hermeneutics, woven together.
5: So you have lots of questions about Jesus' understanding of Leviticus based on, because. Wait, 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 wait. Is he calling people to two different kinds of fabric? And can we do that now? And I, th- I think when Jesus quotes Leviticus, that that's, opens up a whole series of questions about exactly where in Leviticus we say that's timeless, that's not timeless, that's cultural, that's not culturally bound. That's a whole longer discussion.
0: Yeah, but in your mind, clearly, um, you know, the the prohibition against sleep as a man sleeping with another man, that's caught up in culture and it's not binding today.
6: Well, Yeah. But when he talks about sexual immorality, it's quite that in that sense, I'm just saying, you know, Jesus is understand as a Jewish first century Jew, his understanding of sexual morality is Torah shaped. Right. So he, he has a view of what is and isn't acceptable. So when he says that's one of the evils that comes from the heart, he, he's not, He's not whistling in the dark. He's not saying that in a vacuum. People, his hearers understand him. Matthew, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. John, etc. Yeah. Paul understands him. I, I, obviously, I disagree with the, with the way you're understanding Paul's use of the words in, as well. But and we probably won't get time well, to get to that. But. We,
0: we we sort of have veered off into a particular area about about. Okay, so you get the idea of of what happened, and I think that uh, Andrew did a fine job of providing for us um, a recorded cross examination of Rob Bell. Uh, and his views. And so Andrew Wilson did a, a good job there. Now, when we come back to the program on Thursday, I want to point out an error that uh, Andrew Wilson committed. And uh, if he hears the program, you know, I I think he, you know, I'll, I'm going to be generous in at least how I present the error. I've made the same error myself, and it's really easy to make. And that is he gave way too much benefit of the doubt to Rob Bell, and Rob Bell took advantage of that and just ran him over. Because at this point, Rob Bell is trying to find a way to get control back of the conversation so that he can obfuscate and you know and run for the the weeds and hide among them and so we'll 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 come back to that on Thursday's episode of fighting for the faith so stay tuned <laughs> All right we're up on our second break if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address is at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on facebook facebook.com forward slash pirate christian or you can follow me on twitter my name there at pirate christian quick break when we come back sermon review engaging in community jesus yes it's weird all this ice of jesus going on don't want to miss it stay tuned we'll be right back Relevance, Shmelovance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some. Rah!
2: listening to Byron Christian Radio.
0: Have you purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser cheapo air is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs and we've got a special promo code for you to use at cheapo air to save an additional ten dollars off of cheapo air's already low prices so visit pirate forward slash cheap write down the promo code then click on the web banner and book your travel today and remember a portion of your purchase will go to support pirate christian radio that website address again is pirate christian forward slash cheap and thank you for your support. Cowabunga.
2: (laughs) Oh, hey. I didn't hear you come in. What was I just doing, you might ask? Well, I just conquered the outer rim planet of pico Palm with my trusty double-barreled nuclear plasma cannon. Well, I just did in this video game. But how is it possible for someone like myself to play 13 hours straight and not get a headache? It's quite simple, really. It's because I wear gunners. When I'm rocking these babies, I'm unstoppable. They're not limited to just games, mind you. Oh, no! I rock the spreadsheet, the PowerPoint, the word processor, and when that's all done, I hop my T-16 and fry me some toasters. If you want to get in on the action, then head over to piratechristianradio.com forward slash gunners. You gotta see it to believe it.
0: Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. I think this is the first sermon we've reviewed since Tommy Sparger left North Point. bad and, well, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's uh, sermon um, comes to us via North Point Church, Springfield, Missouri. Pastor Jeremy presiding. Uh, The name of the sermon series is entitled Once Upon a Time. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Once Upon a Time the... um, the way you open up like a fairy tale. I mean, with a sermon series named after the opening of a fairy tale, it makes me think that maybe what I'm going to hear from said pastor is going to be <clears throat> not biblical, but a fairy tale. And I think we're going to get that today. You'll notice what he does in this. I'll point it out as we go. He's going to talk about the importance of foundations He's going to read a biblical text, you know, one of the preachings and teaching passages of Jesus himself, and then not really tell us what Jesus said and meant. He's going to engage in eisegesis, which means to read into Scripture stuff that isn't there, uh, and basically try to make the claim that in order to be doers of god's word well we need community so we've got jesus that's narcissistically reading yourself into the biblical text we've got psycho jesus that's psychologically inserting things into a biblical text that are not there we have jungle jesus that we learned from lisa bevere which is to basically insert uh, jungle stuff into <laughs> the bible from animal planet and now we've got community jesus that you know we got all this Jesus going on so Without any further ado, let's kill the music. Here is Pastor Jeremy from North Point Church, Springfield, Missouri, and his sermon entitled Once Upon a Time. This is the fourth installment in that sermon series. Here we go.
7: Well, glad you are here this weekend at North Point. Welcome. I'm Jeremy. And I don't know what rendition of Three Little Pigs you grew up learning. Uh, My grandpa was very fond of wolves, so he told me the story.
0: Really, we're going to start this sermon by talking about the three little pigs and the big bad wolf. <laughs> Oh, this is not a good start
7: story of the three naughty pigs and the really kind insurance salesman wolf who would go to their house to make sure they're ready for the nasty storms and so that their foundation would be good and, and insured and all that. So I grew up liking the story of the three pigs and we're going to look at that this weekend as we talk about the power of foundations because it's possible for our lives to go through a bunch of junk and to survive it if we have a good foundation. It's-
0: so keep that in mind. The thesis here is the power of foundations. That's the thesis and how you can survive the storms of life, the power of foundations. Now that's going to be critical as we get into when he actually reads a biblical text, because what he does is he swaps out the foundation uh, given in the biblical text and inserts a different foundation. Yeah, you'll see.
7: It's also possible for the bad things in life to send our lives spinning out of control. We're going to look at a parable of Jesus that talks about foundations, uh, but I want to uh, share uh, something that happened in Washington, where I'm from, uh, over in Washington. Central Washington has uh, quite an interesting topography. It's, um, it's kind of like if you are driving 160 south from uh, Nixa down to Branson, uh, you have those, uh, those rock formations right off the road that kind of look like little cliffs, you know, on the side. Well, in central Washington, up on the north-central part of the state, they have these cliffs that go right from where you're driving these windy highways to shooting straight up a couple hundred feet up and on top they have what they call open range livestock that means cattle are roaming without any fences or anything well one day, uh, these people are driving North on this road, beautiful summer day. And, and this guy's driving his family when a cow who was grazing way too close, 200 feet, uh, uh, above and falls over the ledge cause there's no fence. And this cow starts dropping out of the skies Talk about holy cow. This cow's dropping from heaven, and as, this, as the timing would have it, this car is driving along the highway, and right above him, this cow drops on its hood. Now, I don't know if you've ever been driving around and a cow fell from heaven and landed on your...
0: What on earth does this have to do with the Bible? A, a holy cow that fell from heaven. It didn't fall from heaven. It got hit by a car. Your car...
7: I haven't. That's a crazy day. What's crazy is the the, the family. They weren't hurt. You know. Uh, I'm not sure what happened about the cow. I think it might have been injured. Uh, but when it, it was, it was a mess. Milk was all over the windshield. You know. I just
0: cra- milk. Yeah, because when you hit a cow, it, it milk
7: goes everywhere. Really crazy deal that happens. I was thinking. You can't have more bizarre of a day than driving and all of a sudden a cow drops from the skies. How do you prepare for that? It's not like the dude woke up that day and was like, man, I just got this feeling. I've got this weird feeling that a farm animal is going to drop out of the skies. I'm like, I'm going to call my insurance agent and prepare for the cow. Now here's the, you don't prepare for cows to fall. And here's kind of a motto in life. Cow droppings happen. And I don't know if we can shorten that and make it a bumper sticker, but that'd be kind of cool. Because cow droppings happen. You can be cruising in life and all of a sudden, boom, watch out for the falling cow. And, and I've, I've had people in my life and I've looked back at my own experience, and there have been days where it seems like a cow dropped out of nowhere. The
0: things that. So now we're preaching about your, your what? Your experience. Oh, yeah. You know, Rob Bell, he, he, he forms his theology from his experience, too.
7: Things that you least likely, uh, that, le- that you least expected happened to you. Maybe you remember the day where your life turned upside down, maybe it was a phone call. That even right now, you can remember that phone call. Maybe it was a doctor's report. Everything changed, and your life is defined of what's happened after that time when the cow dropped out. Something you didn't prepare for that changed your life completely. I want you to know that we're going to go through things in life that we don't expect and that aren't good at all. And our foundation is going to be critical when those times come. Matter of fact, okay,
0: next, that's the second reference to foundation. Foundation. This is going to be important because, you know, he said that, you know, again, I pointed this out the thesis of this is the importance of foundation. So now he's made another reference to how our foundation is going to get us through the unexpected cow droppings of life.
7: In the outline you received when you came in, right in the very top, you can write this down. Kind of our premise for the weekend is the best time to build community is before you need community.
0: The best time to build community is before you need community? Could it be that he's thinking that the importance of foundation can be rephrased as the importance of community? That's
7: exactly what he's doing here. The best time to build community is before you need community. I want to talk about a foundational piece, community, and how we can't cram community. We, when we get the, the call from the doctor that says our life's going to be upside down, we don't have time in that moment to all of a sudden build community. See, it's when community becomes important that it's important that it was always important. <laughs> It's when you need community the most, you need to invest in it. You don't have time to build it when you need it the most.
0: Okay, so without any biblical text, we've had none so far. Um, we've got Pastor Jeremy out there in North Point in Springfield telling us you better have community before you need community because it's you know, foundations are important. Um, How did he come to these conclusions, and why is this considered sound biblical doctrine, the importance of community? He's not showing this from any biblical text. Uh, he's just making these assertions about the importance of community in the context of a, well... You know, the, the inevitable phone call or the, uh, you know, the bad doctor's report or the hiccups and burps and boo-boos of life hit you. You know, maybe a cow falling out of the sky, things like that. So you better have community before you need community because you need community. Why do I need community again, and how are you defining it, and which biblical passage are you preaching from Exactly.
7: Now, there are some, some bad lies that good people believe. And, and I will say, uh, for those of you who have been in church for a long time, uh, you're more likely to believe some of these bad lies. And here's a few of them. Uh, you can write this down. One bad lie that good people believe about a solid foundation. We're talking about foundations. When life comes and huffs and puffs and blows you down. So
0: foundations, which I think you are, that's a euphemism for community.
7: Do you have a foundation? Well well here's a few things that some people believe. One is that going to church produces spirituality. Some people really believe that. That going to church produces spirituality. Going to church doesn't make you spiritual. I mean, you know, is if if you if you don't go to church, you could be very spiritual. There are a lot of spiritual. What does this have to do with anything? Spiritual people today that aren't going to church anywhere because it, it, spirituality has nothing to do with your attendance in a church building. And and if some of you that's going to disappoint you because your whole spirituality might be gauged on how long you've been coming to church. I hate to break it to you, but going to church it doesn't make you spiritual. Um, Sometimes uh, some people believe this, that a church can help me when I'm hurt. A church can help me when I'm hurt. Now, let me tell you the truth. Churches don't help people when they're hurt. Before you throw anything at me, let me explain. The church building isn't very helpful.
0: Yeah, here we go. So I don't think in the sentence that somebody says, uh, you know, a church can help me when I'm hurt that they're not defining the word church in that sentence as a building. I don't think anyone is so obtuse and, well, not clear and lucid in their thinking that they think a church building is the thing that can help them when they're in trouble.
7: No. When you're going through a crisis. The church organization isn't very helpful when you need a friend. The church as an institution isn't very helpful when you've got tragedy that strikes. God never intended the building of a church or any building to be the need for anybody. God didn't intend for an organization to be the reflection as much as He intended the church, us, people, humans. We are the church. And if you have community, then the church being your community is very helpful when you're going through some tough stuff. Very helpful when they.
0: Yeah, I think I get that. I don't know anybody who thinks, oh, you know, I need help. I better go hug a church building so it can help me. I don't know anyone who thinks that way.
7: The cow drops out of the sky, as I shared in my illustration. Very helpful when life huffs and puffs and tries to blow your foundation down, is when you have community, you can go through a whole lot. When you don't have community, the church as a building organization is pretty empty. Now, another thing that, that a lot of times people believe, good people believe these bad lies, is Christianity is about me and God. Christianity is about me and God. Some mm, people-
0: so Christianity isn't about you and God, apparently. Notice the obligatory attack against individual salvation. That's what that is. This is an attack against the concept of individual salvation. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I strongly recommend you go back to the May 11th, 2012 episode of Fighting for the Faith entitled Resistance is Futile, You'll Be Assimilated into the Community. Pause right here, go listen to that, and come back then to this sermon review so you can understand what it is that you're listening to.
7: Now, another thing that, that a lot of times people believe, good people believe these bad lies, is Christianity is about me and God. Christianity is about me and God. Some people believe that. Some people believe that Christianity is about just just a, a, a vertical uh, relationship.
0: But Scripture, when we... Which, by the way, is a total red
7: herring and straw man. We look at it together we see people like John, people like Paul, Jesus himself telling us that true religion, true Christianity, that was a word we attached to it, True, true reflection of God's love is how we love one another. As a matter of fact, there are over five dozen commands that are called the one another's that we see in just the New Testament alone, that if you commit to following Christ.
0: Yeah, that being the case, let me just ask the obvious question. I mean, there's over, what, a half a dozen, you said, or more than a, you know, a couple of dozen of these one another's. How can somebody who is a Christian who attends church Sunday after Sunday with a pastor who rightly handles God's word and is committed to preaching and proclaiming the full counsel of the word of God how could that Christian come to the conclusion that Christianity is only about me and God and has absolutely no connection whatsoever with how I treat other people You, you see the setup at this point is using straw men when somebody is arguing straw man arguments like this and purposely distorting reality in their quote correction you got to be careful because whatever they're putting forward is what they're going to claim is the truth um they're putting that forward against an artificial non-existent you know enemy or foil this is not good. This is something that should be setting off red flags in your mind, going, "Yeah, is what this guy really going to say? You tell me, is it really true because he hasn 't really correctly painted a proper understanding of whatever foe he 's trying to set up. These are straw men he 's lighting his straw men on fire at this moment, you know to show that oh he 's defeated the evil." individualism, the individual salvation God.
7: ...with your life, you can't shirk the responsibility to love those around you. As a matter of fact, the way God chooses to love, which I don't get it, but I think that God could come up with a better plan than humans, but God's best plan to show the Springfield area how much he loves the Springfield community is through those in the Springfield community who have experienced God's love. When we receive God's love, we then are challenged to reflect God's love. And too many times we think Christianity is just about me and God. It's so much bigger than that. Is is we need to be able to have community with each other. Now, we're going to
0: notice he's, at this point, we're nine minutes into the sermon. Nine minutes. Not one passage of Scripture in context. One referred to, but not read. Not exegeted. None of that. Just these assertions.
7: we look at a parable. We've been doing this uh, throughout the series. Jesus tells these stories once upon a time, and we've been looking at these different stories.
0: Uh, so Jesus' parables are the once upon a time. So Jesus, this parable is like the story of the big bad wolf and the three little pigs?
7: Really? Uh, this week I want to talk about the parable of two foundations. We see in Matthew chapter 7, uh, Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it didn't fall, because it had its foundation on the rock.
0: Okay, now I'm going to stop right there. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 7. Immediately, in my mind, something's going off, and that would be red flags and whistles and, you know, things like that. I don't have to confuse you with what goes on inside of my brain, but... I know something about Matthew chapter 7, and that is, is that this is not a passage that is chock full of parables. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 is the tail end of a sermon that began in chapter 5, known as the Sermon on the Mount. This portion of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus now winding down and finishing his sermon. In fact, I'm going to start. We're going to apply our three primary rules for sound biblical exegesis, and they are context, 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 and see if we can figure out what's going on here in the context to see if this is really a parable or a once upon a time, if this is like the three little pigs thing going on here. Matthew chapter 7, we'll start at verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, well, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, Give good things to those who ask him. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few." You will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons? And in your name, uh, do many mighty works in your name? And and then, then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell And great was the fall of it. Hmm. So you can either build your house on rock or your house on sand. Talk here of foundation. I didn't see anything mentioned there about the foundation of community. Did you? No, you didn't. Because it's not there. So, hmm... And notice that this isn't a parable. This is a sermon illustration from a sermon preached by Jesus, and this is the end of his sermon, the conclusion. You know, put these words of mine into practice, kind of thing here. All right. Well, let's continue with the uh, well it's sermon and see where it goes because it's not heading in a in a good direction, and I'm not sure he's rightly handling God's word here because. I want to know what the foundation is that he thinks Jesus is referring to there. Is it community? And how can it be community?
7: But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down the streams, rose the winds, blew and beat against the house. And it fell with a great crash. Life huffed, life puffed, life blew. blew this person's foundation down. Two people, two different foundations. One was rock, one was sand. Jesus was trying to communicate a very simple truth with an interesting story. He says if you build your life on the rock, you are the person who hears what Jesus says and does them, hears and then does, believes and then behaves. And you are like the person who has a rock foundation. If you do not do what he says, if you hear but don't put it into play, then your foundation crashes. A couple of things these people had in common, the rock guy and the sand guy.
0: No, your foundation doesn't crash. Your house does. And that's actually pretty important here because that's what's being discussed here. The house crashes because it doesn't have a foundation.
7: They both had bad things happen to them. Cow droppings happened to both of them. They both had rainy days, stormy weather, terrible circumstances, both of them. Both of them had the opportunity to build, but one had the foundation that stood and one did not. Jesus was saying a principle here. It's not just enough to believe. We've got to do something with it. Now, if you've been at North Point uh, uh, for any more than a if you really believe you
0: will do something faith r- moves it you know if it if you really believe what jesus said y- you can't help but move
7: weird dichotomy a few weeks, you already know that this is something that, that I kind of bring into almost every message is, is, is this is kind of something we're bent towards here at North Point. We don't want to be a community that is known by what we believe. We want to be a community that's known by the love we reflect to those around us. We don't want to be just known by. So
0: you don't want to be known by what you believe, but by what you do. But see, the Bible makes it clear that both are important, not one or the other, but both. You must have right belief as well as right action. Deeds and creeds. So this guy is talking about, literally, deeds, not creeds creeds that's a good way of paraphrasing what he's saying i'm going to back this up a little bit so you can hear that again in context
7: already know that this is something that that i kind of bring into almost every message is, is is this is kind of something we're bent towards here at north point we don't want to be a community that is known by what we believe we want to be a community that's known by the love we reflect to those around us we don't want to do you believe that do you
0: believe that love is important wouldn't that be a belief so you don't want to be known by what you believe it doesn't make any sense.
7: We want to be just known by our information. We want to be all about our application. And so we always talk about that. And the moral of this story is we got to apply God's scripture. we got to apply God's scripture. And because the, the point here is this. What you do, if you believe something, you'll do something crazy. If you believe it strong enough. For example.
3: No, no, no,
0: no. You don't have to do anything crazy. If you believe something, you'll, you'll act according to that belief. It doesn't have to be crazy.
7: Um, if you believe in the tooth fairy, you're going to put a tooth under your pillow. I did that as a kid because I got a quarter and a dime, 35 cents. I can take that money and I can get chocolate milk at school. That was amazing. I was excited. So because I believed the tooth fairy would give me money, I did it. When I was growing up, I wrote Santa letters. I put out milk and cookies. I believed it. And when I believed it, I did something crazy. We all do that. When we believe something, we'll, we'll do crazy things. Uh, any of you hunters? <laughs> Anybody hunters? Uh, I am not a hunter, but I'm learning to be a hunter. And you know what turkey hunters do? They do crazy things because they believe it'll work. I got a picture of me in my camo because I believed I was going to hunt. You can't even see me. That, looks like a, that just looks like a countertop. It's not. Look right above the countertop. There's a human. That's me. I believed I was going to catch a turkey. And because I believed that I did some crazy things, I, I got that getting up. I dressed up like a tree. I did. I dressed up like a tree, like a, a walking, talking tree, like Narnia. And so I got up way too early at four in the morning. I never get up at four in the morning unless i really got to go to the bathroom. And then I go right back to bed. And I sit out in the cold, hunkered down because I believed if I did this, I'd catch a turkey. When we believe something, we do crazy things. So that's why it's always important. We always get back to it around here at North Point is it's not what we believe. It's what we do with what we believe. Now, if we were to break down this parable of Jesus into its truest form, we would do an entire message on application. And that's great. And, and, and a lot of times we teach like that. Um, but if you've been around here, you know that we're always talking application, application, application. I want to take this weekend. All application is nothing but law, by the way. And I want to look just at a unique thing that happened in the story and get our application from that. And that's a a foundation withstood and a foundation collapsed. Some people...
0: Uh, No, there were two different foundations. One was of stone, the other was of sand. The buildings collapsed. The building collapsed that was built on the sand.
7: People can hear great teaching from Jesus but their lives don't hold together when bad things happen because of a foundation. Others can go through some crazy stuff, but because they have a solid foundation, they're able to hang in there. I have been doing this long enough, this journey with Jesus and connecting with others to know that the biggest difference between people who ditch their faith and give up hope And those who hang in there is not the elimination of challenging circumstances. I know that I'm not in front of an audience. I'm in front of a congregation, a community. I'm a pastor. And I have the chance to eyeball many people. And some of you are going through some rough times. Something fell out of the sky that you didn't expect, you didn't prepare for. The thing that will be the difference between you being able to ditch your faith and lose your hope and not your foundation can hinge on community your ability to create community
0: now we have it he has integrated community into the foundation into the foundation itself that you cannot do this passage isn't about community at all it is about something different listen again
7: The thing that will be the difference between you being able to ditch your faith and lose your hope and not, your foundation can hinge on community, your ability to create community. So this is
0: community Jesus. This is him inserting into the biblical text something that isn't there. The foundation Jesus was referring to is not community
7: Now, I know that Jesus was talking about application of Scripture in using that parable of a crashing foundation. But I, Uh I want this weekend to talk about the power of having the right community around you. So, did you hear what he said? He knows that the
0: text is about something else, but he's not interested in talking about that something else. Listen again.
7: On community, your ability to create community. Now, I know that Jesus was talking about application of Scripture. In, in using that parable of a crashing foundation. But I want this weekend to talk about the power of having the right community around you.
0: So, yeah, I don't care what the text says. I want to talk about. Whew. Man, that takes major hubris.
7: Because it could make the difference between losing everything. See, storms come up. If you live on the beach and a storm comes up, you flee. You're gone. I mean, you don't hang out and hang out on the beach when a storm comes. I mean, the beach is empty except for people in yellow parkas working for the news, okay? They're the only people that are hanging out on a beach in a storm. By the way, when
0: you read the best commentaries on this passage, the rock refers to the reliability of Jesus' teaching. This is exactly what Christostom said. This is what Lenski says in his commentary. The rock is the reliability of all that Jesus said. The person who doesn't put Christ's words into practice isn't relying on the foundation of the words that Jesus said. Yeah, that's great. I, I got my own thing to do, Jesus. I don't care what your words say. I'm not going to put those into practice. It's not just application. It's applications of the words that Jesus said. Jesus' words are the rock. Let me read to you from part of uh, uh homily on this particular sermon. Here's what Chrysostom. He said, in referring to rain, floods, and winds, Jesus is speaking about all those human circumstances and misfortunes, such as false accusations, plots, bereavements, deaths, loss of family members, insults from others, and all the horrid things in life about which one could speak. Jesus says that a soul that pursues the way of excellence does not give in to any of these potential disasters. And the cause of this is that the soul has been founded upon the rock. Now the rock refers to the reliability of Jesus's teaching for his commands are stronger than any rock. They place one quite above all the human waves of life for the one who guards these commands with care will excel not only over human beings when treated maliciously, but even over the demons themselves in their plots. That's what's referred. That's what the rock is about. It's about Jesus's words. Jesus's words are the rock. But see, um, you know, Pastor Jeremy here knows that this text is about something else. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about the, the importance of community. Again, listen to it again.
7: Now, I know that Jesus was talking about application of Scripture in, in using that parable of a crashing foundation.
0: No, actually, he was talking about the reliability of his word. That's the rock.
7: But I want this weekend to talk about the power of having the right community around you.
0: See, there it is. Again, it's just absolutely breathtaking. It's so Horrible. I mean, if you hear a pastor do this in a church you're going to, listen, I know this passage is about something else. I don't care what the passage is about. I think it's more important to tell you something that I think is important than, well, than to correctly handle this text. That's what he's saying.
7: Because it could make the difference between losing everything. See, storms come up. If you live on the beach and a storm comes up, you flee. You're gone. I mean, you don't hang out, and hang out on the beach when a storm comes. I mean, the beach is empty, except for people in yellow parkas working for the news, okay? They're the only people that are hanging out on the beach in a storm. But in the Midwest, you know this. When there's a storm coming in the Midwest, you hunker down together in concrete barriers, you know, or in a bathtub. It's the only time, like, you're allowed to get in a bathtub with people you're not married to, okay? It's just like a crazy deal. And, and you're encouraged to do that. It's, it's this thing is, is when, when storms come, you come together in the Midwest, And I want to talk about that. When storms come, do we come together or do we flee every man for himself? Well, a couple of things that that we have in our notes is... is, Do you think Jesus was
0: talking about how when storms happen in the Midwest, we come together, therefore he wants us to come together when storms occur? This is community Jesus, a flagrant and on purpose mishandling and wrong exegesis of this text. In fact, it's eisegesis.
7: is, ...is one is... How does community give me a better foundation? Number one, we live better when others are watching. We live better when others are watching.
0: Now, uh, and, and where'd you get? Oh, yeah, this isn't in the text. You actually admitted that.
7: Uh, I'm, I'm not a great driver. I'm really a bad driver. <laughs> uh, and, and if you don't believe me, just ask my wife. She's an amazing driver. As a matter of fact, she's not only a good driver, she's a great driving instructor. And she, she could. Now,
0: this comes to the point that I want to bring up. I'm asked the question in hour number one forgot to bring it up to this point and I was just reminded I need to ask this question from here on out according to his community isoggesis of this text and willful at you know at that who is the savior in this sermon is it Jesus or the community
7: listen in can instruct me from anywhere she's sitting in the car. She's really, really good like that, you know? And, and so I'm a, I think I'm a talented driver because I can drive with just my upper thighs, you know? I've got like chili corn chips right here, and, and i got a big old beverage right here, you know? So I can, I can do all that when I'm driving. I think I'm talented. Um, but I'll tell you when I become a really good driver is when there's a cop behind me. Oh, buddy. Oh, man. When I've got a cop behind me, 10 and 2. Check in. Check in smiling. You want to try and text me and get a hold of me during that time? Good luck, Chuck. Okay? It ain't going to happen because I don't want to be distracted. I'm not going to touch my phone when you call, when a cop's behind me. (laughs) I'm not going to drive with my knees when a cop's behind me because when a cop's behind me, I turn into the world's best driver. I live better when people are watching me. I make dumb decisions on my own when I'm by myself. I do life a little more difficult. I, I shared once about the time that I went out for milk. Leanne sent me to the store to get milk, and I ended up coming home with a brand-new Hyundai Accent. That was a dumb decision. Like, that was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. And the worst decision was when I was in seventh grade. Um, I got a perm. That wasn't a good decision. The people at school, my buddies at school, didn't think it was near as cool as the 70-year-old the ladies at the salon. And so it was just, it was just crazy, you know? And I, when, when you're by yourself, you make dumb decisions. And, and when, when we live by ourselves, we, we live better when people are watching. Now, I'm not talking about hypocrisy, like I'm going to try and fake you all out. I'm talking about I'm encouraged to live a better life. You know that's true. It's true with sports. The best athletes want to train together. Have
0: you heard of the story of Nazi Germany? Nazi Germany was all about the community, the full Gemeinschaft. Um, yeah, um, they were all about the community. How did that turn out? Were they better as a community? You see, they actually took this to an extreme. They said that the organic entity of note is the community, not the individual cells that make up the community. They were all about the community, so much so that you had no rights unless you were pragmatically providing and you know a, a a something that was of value for the ongoing survival of the community. In fact, if you were sick or mentally ill or not capable of producing and contributing to the community, you know what they did to you. Well, they euthanized you, and that's putting it nicely. the The biblical word is murder. They murdered you because, well, you weren't actually. uh, contributing to the survival of the community. In fact, you were a leech if you weren't contributing to the survival of the community. You were murdered because, well, you were eating the community's food and taking the community's resources, and the community was weak um, because you, well, you weren't able to contribute. And so that's how they justified it. So so don't sit here and talk about the, uh, the values or the greatness of the community, because, Um, number one, you've admitted that this isn't even in the text. Number two, you just went on to tell us all about this yourself, so you're sticking this in the text. And these um, illustrations you're giving are not actually from a biblical passage nor have anything to do with Matthew chapter 7. And, in fact, what you're doing here is elevating community now to the very important role of Savior. You see, if you have community, the community is going to be the foundation of, that helps you weather the storms. And yet, Jesus wasn't referring to community, he was referring to his own words. We continue.
7: You know, it's true in academics. They have study groups. You know, it's true in businesses. They pay big bucks to get together and network. People come together to sharpen. As a matter of fact, the wise guy Solomon, he says in in ancient scripture, he says that
0: The wise guy Solomon. Really, you're going to
7: refer to Solomon
0: as the wise guy.
7: As iron sharpens iron so we can sharpen each other. That we live life better when we're not alone. We live life better when other people are watching. Um, you know, when we see this principle, uh, we, we... Yeah, that didn't pan out so well
0: for Nazi Germany, did it? Same, same in Italy, by the way.
7: We, we, we look at this and we say, okay, well, what if we're all by ourselves? It's when we're alone we make dumb decisions at times. A lot of times when we're alone and we need community the most, we're not open to it. We need to get community before we need community. It's kind of a paradox there. But we need it now.
0: Yeah, and you're making all these assertions without any biblical passages that say it.
7: Because one day we'll need it. Some people are like, well, I don't need community. I really don't need friends. I don't need groups. Okay, well, maybe not now. But that's why you need it. And quit being selfish. Because other people need you and your gifts and what you bring to the table and your perspective. If you want to live life in the way God intended, or maybe you're not there, maybe you don't care about that. If you want the.
0: So you're going to say, that I have to live life the way God intended. That means I have to do it in community. Um, what biblical passage says this exactly?
7: The best out of life, and you want to invest in those around you, you've got to do it with community. You've got to figure that out because we live life better when people are watching. Second thing is this. Um, is we stand longer when others are encouraging. We stand longer when others are encouraging. We can now,
0: so you're getting all these applications, not from the biblical text. You're just making them up now.
7: can hang in there when a lot of people would want to bail out. We can hang in there. Now, I'm going to need a volunteer for this. I'm going to need someone who's up for adventure. Up for. You are way too excited. Come on up. Come on up real quick. Is uh, This will be great. You can go right around the side there. It will be best, and that way we won't have to claim any insurance tonight. Okay, so this is good. Um, so we are going to do something. Never volunteer. Never volunteer when I'm speaking. This is adventurous. What is your name? Jagger. Jagger. Oh, I like that name. That's fun. Don't you like his name? The people in Nixa. Say hi to Nixa right there. Hey, Nixa. And then don't leave out sunshine. Sunshine too. Yeah, they like your name too, Jagger. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Jagger, I need you to kick off your shoes real quick and your socks. That would be awesome. And then roll up those pants. I don't want those to get ripped. Okay, so what we're going to do is Jagger's going to prove that we can stand longer when other people are cheering for us. I hope you—
0: Okay, now notice he's not actually going to a biblical text. He's going to an illustration where he's going to have Jagger do some kind of feat of strength or something and prove that he's capable of standing longer if community is uh, uh, clapping for him. This isn't based on a biblical text.
7: I hope you're ready to cheer, okay? Jagger's going to need you here in a second. Very good. No, no, a little bit higher. No, I'm just kidding. No, that's plenty good. Plenty good. Nice shins. Okay, go ahead and uh, dive on in there. Yeah, no, this is ice, a bucket of ice there for my friend Jagger. Very good. Yep, let's get There you go. Is it too hot? We good? good. Okay, Jagger, I want to tell you something. Um, Stanford university, they did this survey nuts. Uh, they, they took a bucket of ice just like this and they put it on a stage similar to this and they had a, an audience, an auditorium, but it was empty. And they would bring the college students to this bucket of ice and they would stand in the ice and they would just time them how long it took them to like want to get out of the bucket of ice. How long do you think it was? No, no, you'd be shocked. It was only like 20 seconds. They'd be like, ah, ice, ice baby. And they're out, right? But here's what's crazy. You're going to get a kick out of this. So what they did, they did this study where if they filled the place with a bunch of people and cheered on the guy, the guy would stand in there a long time. So we're going to try that, and you're going to feel like this is a good thing. So I need everyone to cheer really loud, give a countdown to 10, and see if Jagger just can't hang in there. Okay, ready? Cheer like you're getting $500 if he makes it. Ready? Go. Each campus, each campus. Oh, that's for you. That's for you. Five, four, three, two, one, and. Now, Jagger, didn't that feel good? Yeah. It makes you want to stay in there all day, but I'm not going to let you. Okay, so here you go. You can jump out of there. And uh... so,
0: to prove his point, he had Jagger stand in a bucket of ice water while people were cheering for him. But this isn't based on a biblical text.
7: Uh, we'll, we'll we'll warm you up here. Okay, can you feel your toes? Nope. Oh, I did not know you had a disease. That's crazy. Oh, I'm just kidding. Okay, he has beautiful toes. Beautiful toes. Very good. That's all I need. I got a you just got a petty. Absolutely. <laughs> this is my time, Jagger. You're, what, you're this is my time. Hey, give Jagger a hand. Thanks for being with us. Good job, man. Now, I just what happens is is if we get to a spot where where we're like. Hanging out in an area where it's not comfortable for us. I believe community is going to help you hang in there and stand longer when people are cheering for you.
0: Well, that's all wonderful and all, but again, which biblical passage did you come to this conclusion
7: from? Is there are people who want to bail out when all hell breaks out. You know a time in your life for the only thing that got you to hang in there is someone was encouraging you along the way. You need that person in your life. You need that group. Some of you are one phone call away from needing community. Some of you are right in the middle of this time and the only thing that's getting you through is the support of others. Many of us can remember a time where we were standing there, we wanted to bail, but our friends wouldn't let us. Some of you, that's your marriage. You're like, I'm out of here. This is crazy. And what you need during that time is a community of people saying, you know what, you can do this. You, you can get through this. Some of you, it's how to live with your teenagers without losing your mind. you like, I, I don't know what to do. I got a newborn baby. What do I do? You, you need community around you. And when we, we build community, we're investing not only in our own life, We're able to let God reflect his love to others through us. That's the power of community. I believe in community.
0: Again, who's the savior in this sermon? Community is the savior.
7: Community big time. I believe community, the pockets of community that we have at this church, is way more important than the size of our attendance on a weekend. Our desire isn't to be a mega church. We are, but that's not our desire. Our desire is to have a mega vision of community.
0: That we would be... Okay, got to back that up. Um, <laughs> listen again.
7: ...important in the size of our attendance on a weekend. Our desire isn't to be a mega church. We are, but that's not our desire. Our desire is to have a mega vision of community.
0: So your desire is to have a mega vision of community. And how exactly does that fit into the go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching them all that I've commanded you thing? Um, big vision of community, huh? Sounds like you're on a different mission than Christ's church.
7: That we would be a church
0: of groups. Not that you have to do our groups. A church of groups, not a church of individuals. A church of groups. The smallest unit at that church is a group. It is not an individual person.
7: You figure out groups. Maybe some of you have been meeting at the Waffle House for seven years on Tuesday mornings. That's awesome. I don't know how you're still alive, but that's awesome. <laughs> maybe some of you have been doing a neighborhood uh, gathering. Maybe some of you, uh, you know, you do something at work. Or, or maybe you're taking advantage of, we, we have over 130, we have 133 groups right now uh, at, at North Point. Maybe you're one of those groups. To me, it doesn't matter that you're in a group or a, or this. The matters is, do you have... Others who don't just share proximity with you, but they share purpose with you, and they share hope, and they share values, and they're helping you. You don't need someone who's going uh, through the same type of hell and doesn't know how to get there. You need people who have been there, done that as well in your life. Listen, uh, raise your hand if you've been in a marriage longer than 15 years, each campus. Keep your hand up for a second. I mean... Listen, everyone with their hands up knows that you got to go through a lot of hell to stay married that long. Am I right? Am I right? No, just disagree with me. Okay. What happens, though, is you do. Is, is You need someone who's been married two years, and they're like, what in the world happened? They need someone to say, you know what, you can do this. Here's some things we learned along the way. What you don't need is someone else who doesn't know how to get through it say, yeah, you should bail out. What kind of community do you have in your life? Because when you have community, when life huffs, when life puffs, when life wants to blow down your foundation, you can hang in there. Be like the guy who built his house on a rock, not the one who flees when the storm hits. Third thing here about community is we heal quicker when others are helping. We heal quicker when others are helping. Life hurts. Life happens. How do we get through it? through community. Some of you know what that feels like, whether it's someone making you a meal, someone sending you an email, a phone call, a note, a hundred bucks. We heal and we rebound when we have community.
0: I need one. I mean, that sounds great. all what Bible? Yeah. This isn't found in the Bible. Is it?
7: One more volunteer. I need another. This is, this is like a Branson show. <laughs> it's like Carrot Top. <laughs> neep, neep, neep. Where, where, are we, where are we at? I need another volunteer. Anyone a brave volunteer? A brave volunteer? Okay. Uh, okay. I see I see. like hands coming down. Oh, come on. Come on. Someone point at someone. Push someone. Come on up. Come on up. Right in the middle there. Come on up. This will be great. All right. This will be, be good. I, at first, I was like, I'm going to have to do this. So it's like a magic show. You want to jump? You could just jump up here if you want. You look like an athlete. Are you an athlete? I hope not. Don't fall. Oh, look. Wow. I've never done that one day in my life. I try all the time. What's your name? I'm Josh. Josh, nice to meet you. Um, if you take off your shirt, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Okay, so. <laughs> okay Josh, here's the deal. Okay, this one's going to be a piece of cake. Okay, is I need you right here to just get right behind that cup. Okay. In just a second, you're going to stand on that cup, balancing all your way in that cup without crushing the cup. I got this. Oh, yeah, I know you got this, yeah. okay? The way you leaped up here like a gazelle, this will be nothing, okay? Right. Use my shoulder for leverage if you okay. need, all your weight on that cup without crushing the cup, okay? Oh, okay. Boom. Go for okay. it. Yep. You guys go crazy. Okay, communication's not what you hear, it's what I say, okay? So so you got to hear it a little differently, okay? So you smash the cup, that's not what we're looking for. Okay, so here's what, here's what we're going to do. This is an important principle I'm trying, to, I'm trying to preach. Okay, so here we go. So this cup right here, stare right at the middle. I want to prove that it's... In the middle of the cup. Middle of the cup. Yeah, all your weight in the middle of the cup without crushing the cup. And go crazy when he does that. Go crazy when he does it. Ready? Set without crushing the cup. Go, Josh. We believe in you. I think you can. I think you can. Here we go. Ready? And without crushing the cup, all your weight. You get... No, no. (laughs) I've never never seen anyone do it. No, no, it's impossible. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm just proving that it's impossible. So here's what we're going to do, Josh. Okay? Is I'm going to put some... So he's demonstrated that this man
0: can't put his full weight on a cup without crushing it. But I bet community can come to the rescue because community is the savior in
7: this sermon. Some more cups here. Same type of cups. You're going to think that I'm a magician. This is going to blow your mind, okay? But this is something that you can even do at home with a little practice. Same type of cups. And we are going to put these together, put a little flat surface on there, Now, this may or may not work. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand here. In just a second, you're going to go for right in the middle of there. Use my shoulder as leverage. And then get all your weight and stand on there without crushing the cups. If you're in the balance in the middle, it'll work. Ready? And you guys go nuts if he does it. Ready? One, two, three. Right in the middle. You can go both feet if you want. Both feet in the middle. Yeah!
0: Wow. A magic trick to prove the power of community. This isn't based on a biblical text.
7: Josh, amazing. That's all I needed. That's all I needed. Give Josh one more hand. You did awesome. Awesome. Okay, check this out. Some of you would feel like this right here. Because life happened and it flattened you. Something came into your life that you didn't expect, all this weight, and you just got buried, blindsided, nailed with this weight, nailed with a circumstance, nailed with a tragedy, and this is how you feel. Why is suicide still one of the leading causes of death? Because people feel like this. I wish that if you came to North Point Church We can eliminate weight from happening in your life. And we could say what it means to be a Christ follower is no bad things happen to you. You'll never experience the rain, the storms of life. But I can't promise you that will happen because I know it's not true. We don't have the ability to remove the weight in your life. All we have the ability to do is huddle up together and say, well, we'll try and shoulder it together. And you know what I found? The difference between being crushed and having a solid foundation a lot of times is the community around you. The same amount of weight can come into your life. I've seen people who have ditched their faith because times got tough. And I've seen people who've had to go through the craziest tragedies and lose loved ones pull through because a community around them says, you're not alone. I'll shoulder this with you. You won't be flattened. Not on my watch. I want you to see this video from the animal world that I think shows the power of community.
0: This is like a well, an Isa Jesus two for one special. Now we got Jungle Jesus going along with Community Jesus, because you know we're going to get our theology from a, a v- Animal Planet video showing the power of community.
7: It's a water buffalo in Africa who has a really bad day. Um, it was captured on video, it was on someone's cell phone camera, not like an iPhone 5. We're talking like a Nokia, okay? So it's like at the production quality of Cloverfield. This is bad news bears. But it's this water buffalo who was attacked by lions and then got in a tug of war with lions on one side and a crocodile on the other. He was out of hope. <laughs> Check out this video. You know, the Bible says that our enemy...
0: Now, obviously, for the sake of the podcast, uh, for the sermon for the uh, church, they cut the video out because you can't see it on the podcast. So we've skipped over that, and we're now continuing.
7: The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking about whom he may devour. And community gives you the power to say, scat cat, (laughs) not on my watch. You're not taking this person out.
0: Yeah, because the community is your Savior, not Jesus.
7: Without community, that video has a different ending. Two guys in Jesus' story. Once upon a time. One guy had his life fall flat. The other hung in there. The difference was not what happened. The difference was a foundation.
0: And the foundation was Christ's words, not community.
7: I believe community is that foundation.
0: Yeah, and you believe falsely. There isn't anything in the text to point you to community as being the foundation.
7: That we can all be a part of. That we can all build. But We have to be intentional. Couple things. Bottom line is this. Without community, this is really spiritual. Get ready. We're hosed. (laughs) You can put whatever word you want. Okay, I put hosed.
0: So community is the Savior. If you don't want to be hosed,
7: you need community. If you don't have community, what do you have? And if Jesus. You, I have Jesus. And if you don't have community, you don't have much. Another thought there is this. You don't have to live life alone. You don't have to live life alone. You weren't designed to. Who knows that you might need community now? Who knows that you're going to a season where you're going to need community. And some of you are like, well, I'll take my chances. Don't be.
0: So do I need to ask community into my heart? Do I need to be baptized into the
7: name of community? Don't be selfish. There's someone who needs you to be community for them. We're in this unique opportunity right now. Uh, as a church this week, actually this last weekend or this weekend is the last weekend to register to lead a group. Some of you are like, I don't know if I can lead a group, you know, I I haven't, you know, I don't know if I know enough about scripture. You know,
0: so here comes the sales pitch for joining a group, a small group, because they're a church of groups, not individuals, but groups. You need to listen to my lecture from last year. Resistance is futile, you'll be assimilated into the community, and then you'll understand what all of this is. But listen to the qualifications that he lays out for people to be leaders of these small group studies.
7: You know, that's not not a, a real good excuse is look who they let teach around here, okay? So don't let knowledge, you know, stop you, paralyze you. In-
0: yeah, yeah. In fact, I got to back this up so we hear it in context. Listen again.
7: Uh as a church this week, actually this last weekend, or this weekend is the last weekend to register to lead a group. Some of you are like, I don't know if I can lead a group. You know, I, I, haven't, you know, I don't know if I know enough about Scripture. You know, that's not, not a, a real good excuse.
0: So, in other words, you are qualified to lead a small group study, even if you don't know anything about the Bible. Since when do teachers in the church, the qualification is just breathing,
7: Look who they let teach around here, okay? So don't let knowledge, you know, stop you, paralyze you.
0: Yeah, so if you don't know anything of the Bible, well, good, you're qualified to teach it
7: man, if you, can, if you can brew coffee or brew whatever, I'm sure people will show up, okay? As, as long as you can brew coffee, you can teach the Bible. Is If you could open your home or say we're meeting at McAllister's, what are you going to do? Is, is is You can lead a group. You can be part of creating community for someone else. This church needs to be bigger. So it's
0: not about rightly handling God's Word when you guys are actually opening the Bible. No, it's about you creating uh, community because community is the Savior.
7: Bigger than... An, Audience, this church needs to continue to be a place, and so many of you have led groups. Uh, We we have 133 groups right now, but there are groups. There will be uh, more groups that are launching, and for some of you, your next step is to lead a group. For others, is to get involved in a group to say, okay, because next weekend we're gonna uh, we're gonna open registration for over 100 more groups, Uh, different types of groups, from barbecue groups to book study groups to you know whatever type of group, and it's an opportunity for community to be there when you need it the most. And, you know, some of you are like, man, I don't want to be, you know, in a group. I tried it before. Back in 1987, I was in a group and it didn't go well. Okay. Listen, have you ever been to a bad movie? Okay. Um, Yeah. You probably went back to a different one. Have you, you know, I've been to a a bad haircut. (laughs) My last one, right. You know, is I go back, you know, I've had a bad concrete at Andy's. That's not true. But the thing is, most of the times is you try something and if it doesn't work, you try it again. Listen, if you've been in a bad group, hey, great, you know, just getting a different one. <laughs> you probably have a better shot this next time. Um, is get involved in community. However it is, whether it's something that through one of our groups or you got community in your life, we need community. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite the ushers to go ahead. And, and if you're an usher, go ahead and stand on up. And, and as they prepare to come on uh, forward, I want to take a moment and how we want to, wrap it, uh, this weekend is, is with the green cards. Now I know that we do this every week and some people will say, why are we all about the green cards? Because it's about what we do. It'll never be about what we think or what we believe or what we affirm. It's what we do. And these green cards are the engine to our actions. And, and so I want to encourage everyone, as the ushers are preparing, would you look at your green card? Would you, you could just rip that off right now, that green card in the bottom of, of your uh, program. And, and if you take that, and I want to encourage you, maybe this isn't something you're used to doing, I'd encourage you to go for it. Is This is a great next step. And I'm believing that this weekend, Uh, We'll have uh, a couple dozen different people right now say, I want to lead a group. And maybe you're thinking...
0: Even if you don't know anything about the Bible, as long as you can brew coffee, you can lead a a Bible study.
7: I hope everyone else around me does that. That'd be awesome. I want to challenge you. Would you consider leading a group? Uh it's just, it's just picking a place to get together for six to ten weeks. It doesn't have to be. If you want to do it for the next three-year contract, that's great, you know. But it doesn't need to be complicated. We'll help you. we got people in the lobby at each of our campuses to help you right as soon as we're done today. But consider, maybe that's your next step. I will. And just put, lead a group. Maybe for uh, a lot of you, it's like, I will get involved in group, and, and you write that down as your next step. And next weekend, you'll have an opportunity to, to begin signing up for those as we're launching all these groups so we will start the week after uh, Memorial Day. Um, or maybe for you, it's, man, I need a big foundation in my life. I need a relationship with Jesus. I've been checking it out, and, and I think, man, my life uh, is void of a foundation, and I feel like my life's upside down. I don't know what God's speaking to you. Would you look at that green card? and? you reflect on what your next step is? As, as you're doing that, this is also our time to give back uh, to God uh, our gifts, our finances to him. And, and those of you who call North Point home.
0: Yeah, you got to tithe to your community.
7: Uh, thank you for being so faithful in this. Um, you know this, but uh, there's nothing we can do in this community or around the world without your generosity. And uh, week in week out, your giving is making a difference. Thanks for doing that. And I want to encourage you, if you call this uh, to be your home, I, I, I do believe this, that what you give here uh, to North Point is going to, to be a catalyst in someone's life. It's going to make a difference, and, and you can believe in what you're giving. It. Now, if, if you don't call North Point home and you're a guest with us, we are honestly, we're just delighted you're here. And so we don't expect anything from you. Uh, we're not after your wallet. What you can do, actually, we want to do something. But
0: as soon as you make them your community, and remember, community is the savior in the sermon. Well, then, yeah, you got to give 10% off the
7: top. Something for you. Just make sure you mark that first-time guest box. We'll make that donation to the Care to Learn to make sure we send a backpack home on a Friday with someone who needs food during the weekend just because you were here if you marked that box. So, ushers, go ahead and pass those buckets. As those buckets pass, we put our green cards and our giving in those buckets. Um, we've got a really serious video that I'll encourage you about groups.
0: Okay, so that's the end of the sermon, Once Upon a Time. What was that? Well, Community Jesus, along with a little bit of Jungle Jesus, to prove to you the importance of community, and the community is your Savior. It's the thing that's going to keep you from messing up. It'll help you to do right, because that's the Savior. Community. I think you need to ask community into your heart. Scary stuff, folks. Again, May 11th, last year, May 11th, 2012, at Fighting for the Faith, resistance is futile, you will be assimilated into the community if you want to understand what it, what, what is the beating ideology at the heart of that sermon. You need to listen to it, and you need to heed the warnings that I give in that as well.